We're in 1 Corinthians 13. I'd like to just read a few verses, 8 through 13, and we're we're coming to the end of our study and going to work on the 13th verse a little bit. But as usual, some preliminaries. So 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your grace, and thank you again for the demonstration of your love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And uh, we thank you that uh, we may uh, uh, encounter Jesus Christ in your word and uh, read about this uh, great demonstration of love uh, in the Gospels and as it's explained in the epistles and uh, as it's uh, foreshadowed in the Old Testament. We're glad for that. And uh, we thank you for Uh, your love poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, enlightening our eyes and inclining our hearts so that we might uh, see more clearly and embrace uh, your love uh, demonstrated to us in uh, Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would indeed have hearts to embrace uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Be pleased to bless us Uh, to this end. We uh, thank you uh, for the way the Apostle Paul uh, speaks about uh, this same love in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and uh, shows to us that uh, love has uh, the preeminence, that love has the priority over other matters uh, in the church. And uh, so we pray that we might have in our own uh, hearts and minds and in our own lives Uh, this same priority with regard to your love uh, in our own lives, uh, a love for you and a love for one another. And uh, we ask that, uh, as this is the case, there would be a good testimony born uh, in this world uh, with regard to uh, you and uh, your work in the lives of men and women like us and in the life of your church. Uh, So be pleased to bless us, we pray, to this end. And as we uh, come to uh, this final verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that love abides forever, uh, we pray that uh, you'll help us uh, to understand this, and uh, we pray that in the end we will uh, walk in this love and experience uh, this love forever and ever. Uh, We pray uh, this in the good name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
so hear us in this name, we pray. Amen. Uh, so, a, a little overview again of uh, the passage. Uh, and uh, remember that we uh, are uh, rooted in the... Uh, uh, the whole idea that the Apostle Paul is speaking about spiritual matters in uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14. And the, the chief spiritual matter uh, he, he gives in uh, chapter 12 and verse 3, uh, where he says, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking uh, by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And uh, so the directions... Uh, that the Apostle Paul gives us uh, falls under uh, the rubric of uh, this confession of faith. And uh, we need, to, of course, to uh, keep this in mind. And uh, in the first paragraph in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, Paul speaks about the priority of love, uh, that uh, it takes priority uh, over uh, uh, many other things uh, in the church, uh, and especially the special gifts that the Corinthians were prone to glory in in their circles. And so Paul is emphasizing the priority of love. And then in verses 4 through 7, he describes love, as we've said before, that this is not a definition of love, but this is a description of love, and we have have to go elsewhere in Scripture for a definition of love. And then he speaks about these special gifts ending in verses 8 through 12. And we've taken the position that the special gifts end when Scripture is complete. And Paul says in verse uh, ten, when the perfect comes, the partial passes away. And we've taken the position that the perfect is the perfect Word of God. And so when we have the perfect Word of God, uh, then uh, these uh, special gifts <clears throat> as marks of the presence of the Holy Spirit pass away. And the, the uh, continuing mark of the presence of the Holy Spirit in believers and in the life of the church is love. And so then we come to the 13th verse where the greatest of these is love. And you can see how Paul is continuing to emphasize this theme of the priority of love. And our basic background question is what is the permanent evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers? Well, our answer is love. It's not uh, these special gifts. <clears throat> and uh, uh, as we get into the lesson, uh, I want to uh, uh, reemphasize, we brought up these texts in First uh, John 4.12 and First Peter 4.8, but I want to reemphasize uh, these texts a little bit as uh, the uh, special evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives uh, being love and uh, the special evidence in the church. And as I was uh, thinking about the lesson 
uh, this morning uh, particularly, it, it just uh, has struck me uh, quite forcefully that uh, in our culture and in our society, uh, uh, we seem to be in so many respects uh, breeding uh, division and uh, even hatred uh, for one another. Uh, and it's sad, uh, but, it, but it's a mark of the enemy, isn't it? It's a mark of the devil. Uh, the devil is out to kill and to maim and destroy. And uh, one of the ways he does this is, is uh, he creates fear and hatred and uh, division in the hearts of uh, uh, men and women. And I, I remember so well uh, as... Uh, uh, a young fellow in high school, uh, my folks uh, moved from uh, northern Kentucky to uh, central New Jersey uh, when I was uh, before my junior year in high school. And uh, so I graduated from high school in New Jersey. Uh, but I remember, and I don't remember which year it was, whether it was my junior year or my senior year, uh, but I remember so vividly uh, waking up in the middle of the night and hearing my parents fighting. And uh, then early in the morning, it mu- I guess it must have been early in the morning because uh, p- part of what I remember about this fight that my parents were having, that my, uh, my dad left the house in, in a fury and a rage and uh, slammed the uh, the front door as as he left the house. Well, you you understand how anger and you know, none of us have ever walked out of a room and slammed the door and because we're angry. Uh, but but at any rate, and uh, I remember going to school with great fear in my heart, not knowing. Uh, uh, to what I would uh, come home to that evening when I came home from school and went to football practice and all this stuff and then uh, finally came home. Uh, but, but our world, it, it, it's too bad, isn't it? Our world is so full of this kind of division and it, it's uh, spilled over in so many uh, different ways. And... Uh, uh, I say this because uh, when, when we come to passages like 1 Corinthians 13, uh, they're sometimes difficult for us to grasp and comprehend because of the pressure of the world around us is so full and so great. Uh, but it, it is the love of God poured out in the hearts of people like you and me and poured out within the church that makes the church so different and so distinct from the world. And uh, uh, the Apostle Paul goes so far as to speak about our being ambassadors for Christ in the world and the church being, as it were, embassies in the world of a different nation. And uh, our citizenship being in a different nation, 
which is heaven. <laughs> and it's so striking that the church is called to be an embassy of heaven. And the way it becomes an embassy of heaven is the citizens of this embassy have an entirely different character marked by the love of God. And it is quite distinct as we consider the things that are going on in the world and the strife that we might be caught up in. And this little incident in my own life uh, seems to be uh, to me to mark uh, the distinction so uh, graphically uh, uh, as to uh, how we are to be so different uh, from the world. And uh, so just a couple of texts, again, uh, that we've uh, mentioned, uh, but, I, but I want uh, to point our attention to, and then, then we'll go more specifically to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13.13. 13. And the first one is 1 John 4.12. So uh, uh, look with me at, at uh, 1 John 4.12. And uh, uh, as I say, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I thought it would be good for us just to read it and uh, for us to emphasize it because it fits in so well with the theme of 1 Corinthians 13. No one has seen God uh, ever seen God. Uh, and why is this the case? God is a spirit. You can't see a spirit. <laughs> uh, so no one uh, has seen God. Uh, find my place again. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. And uh, this text is so striking to me, uh, you see, because what Paul is, or what John is talking about here is uh, a church like ours. No one has seen God at any time. And then in verse 12, he adds this striking statement, if we love one another... God abides in us, or with us, we, we could say, say, and His love is perfected in us, or perfected with us. And so, how do people see God? When you and I love one another. This is how people see God. And when there's a conflict in a church, Usually people say, well, I'm not going there. If God is like that, I'm not going there. Right? So, uh, the cultivation of love as the preeminent uh, indication of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst is so important as a witness to the world of the presence of of the great God of heaven. And to me, this is so striking and ought to, it seems to me, strike us forcefully. And then in 1 Peter 4.8, another text that emphasizes the love of God, 1 Peter 4.8, 
Uh, you see how uh, Peter puts it here. First uh, Peter four eight. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. See, this is the idea, and, and hooking this up with with First uh, John. See, this is the testimony. This is the witness of the presence of God uh, in us and among us. Uh, keep loving above all. <laughs> See, First Corinthians thirteen. The preeminence of love. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. You see, and this is what happens to us. That when we love one another earnestly, what happens between us is covered over by our love. For one another. And uh, you know this is true with regard to uh, our children. Say how many times we, we love our kids and uh, it hardly matters what they do uh, because our love for them covers over everything that they do. And so it ought to be uh, within the church. And uh, uh, a week or so ago, I sent out an email that I, I, where I expounded this uh, uh, idea. And uh, uh, I think in this email, I told uh, the, the little story that in a church I served years ago, that uh, in a round of family visitation, when the elders uh, visited uh, one home, uh, two of the ruling elders, the wife in the home, exclaimed to one of the elders, I hate, I hate the pastor. That was me. (laughs) And they came and they said, what do we do? I said, you have two courses of action. You can pursue this as a sin in accordance with Matthew 18, and uh, call this uh, lady to repent and uh, follow this course of discipline. And uh, you know what will happen if, if, that, if we take that course of action. It will cause a huge uproar uh, in the congregation, and it could cause a disruption from which we are incapable of recovering. I said the other uh, course of action is 1 Peter 4.8. Love covers a multitude of sins. And my suggestion is that we cover this whole matter with love as much as we can and we bury this sentiment with love from ourselves and move on. And that's exactly what we did. And that sentiment was buried in the church. And we moved ahead. And uh, uh, to me, it was just a very stark example of uh, this text in First Peter 4.8. And uh, love covers a multitude of sins. And to help us grasp this, 
You see, I've given some examples here uh, under number three uh, in the outline. Remember Stephen, who preached the gospel and was brought up before the Jewish Sanhedrin as a blasphemer. And it was said that he blasphemed Moses and he blasphemed the temple. And he said, no, I'm not the blasphemer. If you understood who Jesus Christ actually is, you would understand that Moses and the temple point to him. And you would love Jesus Christ. And with rage, they took him outside and stoned him. And Stephen said, Lord, do not hold these things against them. And in the narrative, you'll remember, there was a young man, there was a man there by the name of Saul who heard the testimony of Stephen and was later converted. Love covers a multitude of sins. This is part of the idea. The woman at the well did... Uh, Jesus come and approach the woman at the well. Uh, and when he knew uh, that she had had uh, more than one man and was a multiple adulteress, did he scold her and chastise her? No. He revealed himself to her. And she went away amazed into the city. And uh, he uh, then uh, uh, said to her in response to queries about the Messiah, I am he, the one who speaks to you. I am he. And, and to me, this is another example of love covers a multitude of sins. And the adulterous woman, after all of the Pharisees went away in Jesus dealing with that situation, is there no one who condemns you? He says to the woman, is there no one who condemns you? No, Master. Neither do I. Isn't that amazing? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What powerful words. And uh, love covers a multitude of sins, and we're so quick to condemn rather than to cover sin with love. So, it's a profound exhortation for me and for all of us. And so, maybe a little longer on the preliminaries here, but just trying to emphasize the priority of love and how important it actually is 
in uh, matters of our own life and uh, as we deal in the church. And so, uh, going back now to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 13, So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And uh, the first, uh, the beginning of the text, so now, now in this present age, now in the time, as I say in the outline, during the whole present age, in contrast to the short uh, period of time during the apostolic age. And Paul is writing to uh, the Corinthians, uh, and uh, uh, he's making a contrast between uh, the time that he's writing and uh, this whole subsequent age in which we live. Now in this whole subsequent age in which we live, in contrast to that short uh, period of time, the apostolic age, uh, now abides love. And uh, the idea here is uh, uh, in the language, uh, abide uh, is in the present tense. And uh, usually what this means is this is continuous action. Uh, continues over a long period of time. Uh, there are different tenses for uh, things that occur in the past in the Greek. And uh, one of the tenses in the Greek is, is a tense that uh, a particular point in the past. See, this is quite different. This is in the present uh, and it's a continuous action. Uh, now these three abide in uh, this present age. And uh, they're continuous in remaining in this present age. And uh, uh, we would understand why it is that faith remains in this present age. Well, uh, faith has to remain in this present age. <laughs> uh, 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 Romans uh, uh, 10.9 uh, and the whole idea that you, if you uh, uh, believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. This is the way of salvation. Faith remains in this present age. And, uh, of course, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. This is the response to the gospel that we continue to preach during this present age and which you continue to lay before individuals in this present age. And this will be the case throughout this present age as long as we are living in the circumstance before Christ comes a second time in glory. Faith remains. Because the gospel message remains uh, in this uh, present age. And uh, hope remains. Uh, let's uh, keep your finger there in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians and go back to uh, Acts 24. Uh, Acts chapter 24 and verses 14 and 15. See, uh, here uh, Paul is before uh, Felix, and uh, he's making a defense. And he says in verses uh, 14 and 15, 
but this I confess to you, that according to the way, which is called a sect, and of course, uh, the way is uh, Christianity. <laughs> uh, the way the Christians are following, which is called a sect. See? And, and it's called, it, it was uh, considered at first a sect of uh, Judaism. Uh, uh, quite interesting that, that this should be uh, the case. Uh, but this I confess to you that according to the way which I call, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written by the prophets. You see, I'm, I'm not uh, going off in a heretical direction here. I'm following what's written in the law of Moses and uh, what's declared in the prophets. And uh, you need to understand uh, that this is the case. This is uh, his defense. Uh, verse 15, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Right? That there'll be a resurrection from the dead. Uh, that this is the hope of the Old Testament, this was the hope of Moses. To me, isn't this striking? This was the hope of Moses, that uh, he would die and be buried and be raised again. See, and uh, this was the hope of Moses because this is what Moses wrote about Abraham, that Abraham offered up Isaac and was willing to offer up Isaac because Abraham believed in the resurrection from the dead. He believed that God would raise up Isaac, if necessary, from the dead in order to fulfill the promises, the hope of the resurrection. And uh, the prophets uh, believed in uh, the resurrection. This is what uh, the Apostle Paul is uh, telling us. And so the great Christian hope is the resurrection from the dead. And that hope as uh, the Apostle Paul uh, tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, this hope abides. Once you trust Christ, it's not just that when you die, your soul is going to be separated from your body and take its flight into the presence of Christ and your body is going to rest in the grave. Uh, that's not the end. It's that your body, as the catechism says, rests in the grave awaiting the resurrection. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's a beautiful picture. And uh, so when Christ comes and the dead are raised, we will be made complete. And the saying will be fulfilled. O oh, death, where is your victory? Uh, what, a, what a blessed uh, hope that actually is, uh, the hope of the res resurrection. And faith, hope, and love abide. And uh, the, the text I have there is uh, uh, Galatians 5.22, uh, where Paul uh, speaks about the the uh, fruit of the Spirit in contrast to the deeds of the flesh. The, uh, the deeds of the flesh would, would include uh, all kinds of anger and rancor and division. 
But the fruit of the Spirit begins with what? Love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The first fruit, love. In keeping with what the Apostle Paul indicates to us in 1 Corinthians 13. These three, the text goes on to say, these three abide. These three uh, form a trinity. Uh, and I, uh, I, I put it with a small t. Uh, these three uh, fold together as uh, primary characteristics of the Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. And uh, Paul says, it's translated in the, the English, the greatest of these is love. Uh, keeping again with his whole idea of the priority of love. And uh, actually, uh, uh, the way it's written in the original language Language, it's a comparative. It's not uh, uh, the greatest, but it's the greater. The greater of these three, uh, literally, would be. So it would be like uh, good, better, best. <laughs> so it's the comparative. Uh, it's the better. And uh, it, it's uh, great, greater, and greatest. And so the comparative would be the greater. And uh, this is how it's written. The greater of these is love. And why, why is it, so you have to ask the question then, why is it that the greater of these is love? Uh, and here's the reason, as I have it in number five in the outline. The fruit of faith will be realized when you and I come fully to heaven. Uh, and this is the case because the fruit of faith is, uh, in believing the gospel, is to be united to Christ and to come to heaven. And when you reach heaven, the good news is realized and fulfilled in your life, and faith in the gospel is no longer needed at that point. The gospel has been fulfilled in your life. What a tremendous thing that actually is. And similarly, hope in the resurrection, the great hope of the Christian is the resurrection from the dead. Well, when that hope is realized and you have been raised from the dead, hope in the resurrection is no longer needed. Right? Because you're already there. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, I, I hope to come home. We had a presbytery meeting this week. And uh, I hope to come home. And I remember uh, driving into the garage, pressing the 
the garage door open and the garage door open and I, I drove into the garage and I, I sighed and I said, I'm so glad to be home. <laughs> and, uh, see, this is, this is the way it, it will be. Uh, after Christ comes a second time in glory, you'll be so glad to be home. And you won't have to hope to come home any longer because you'll be there. So abide faith, hope, and love. But the greater is love. And why is the greater love? And First uh, John uh, four eight. First John uh, four eight. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, now notice the connection uh, with all of what Paul has been uh, saying in 1 Corinthians 13. What's the great evidence of the presence of the Spirit of God in the life of the church? and the life of individual. Anyone who does not love does not know God. It's love which is the big evidence. And why is this the case? Because God is love. And so when you come to glory, and when I come to glory, in the providence of God, after the resurrection, you and I will have the privilege of basking in the sunshine of the love of God for all eternity. You will have the privilege of enjoying the love of God forever. You will have the uh, excitement of learning more and more and more about the love of God through Jesus Christ throughout eternity. And you will never exhaust learning about the love of God. You'll never exhaust the prospect of learning more about how good God is and how loving He is and how much He's actually done for you, you'll never exhaust the prospect of being embraced more and more by the love of God. This is why the greater is love, you see. Because it will never be exhausted. What can you say except... Sigh and say, thank you, Lord, uh, that this is the prospect uh, that we have as uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest is love. Why is it that the great evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers is love? Because that's who God is. And 
When we understand that that's the case, we'll understand what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. And he, and people come in to the congregation and they witness what's taking place in the congregation and how God's people love one another. And Paul says they'll fall down on their faces and have to confess, be constrained to confess that God is present. That God is present because of the love of God that they experience in the congregation. This is the powerful message that Paul is giving us. So, uh, I want to just briefly now run through the chapter. And I don't want to take a bunch of time here, but I just want to briefly run through the chapter as, as we've understood it and come to this uh, tremendous place uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13.13. 13. Uh, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, But have not love, I gain nothing. Love is kind and patient. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For I know in part and, uh, for we know in part and prophesy in part. But when the perfect, and this is how we've understand, when the perfect Word of God is given to us, the partial passes away as a, as a great evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Say, Paul is saying, now, as I write to you Corinthians, and, and uh, we just depend upon prophecy, for example. Uh, prophecy doesn't give us the whole picture. We see uh, as in a mirror dimly. But then, when we have the perfect Word of God, we will see Jesus Christ face to face in that Word. Now I know in part why. 
because the perfection of the complete Word of God has not been given to us. Then I shall know more accurately. Uh, that's really the essence of the language. You see, we're never going to come to the place where we know fully. We can't fully know God. We're creatures. We'll never fully know God. That's not a possibility. For now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, or know more accurately, even as my own life has been revealed to me more accurately through the Word of God. And so now, now, uh, friends, the great abiding characteristics of the Christian life are faith, hope, and love. And what's the greatest, what's the greater of these three abiding characteristics? It's love. Because God is love. And when we love one another, God is in our midst. That's the lesson. And so you and I need to place a priority on the love of God, as Paul indicates it in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for uh, this Your Word. We pray that You'll be pleased to uh, pour Your love out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We pray that we will more and more understand the good work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We pray that uh, the love of God as described by the Apostle Paul would be part and parcel with each one of our lives. Uh, that we will exemplify uh, this standard that's given to us in 1 Corinthians 13. So bless us, we pray. Carry us forward uh, in this, we ask. And uh, bear us up as a congregation in uh, this community in which we find ourselves as a congregation that is marked by uh, not only the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only by our uh, stand on the Word of God as the uh, infallible and inerrant Word of God, but uh, more importantly and more particularly uh, on the matter of your love. May this be our testimony, we pray, in the good and gracious name of Jesus Christ, who is the only Lord and Savior. Amen.